The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 12. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds, himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker of a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And uh, as you're seated, let me again extend my welcome to you guys. Welcome here this morning. It's great to see all of you. Uh, it's so exciting to, to see the, the ministry that, that Daniel's been gifted in, how he's been growing to finally come to fruition in the launch of this church plant. Uh, we're just so excited about this. Um, I want to invite you now to seek the Lord with me in prayer. We need his help uh, to open up the scriptures, to understand them, to be changed and grown through them. So would you bow your heads as we begin? Father, we come to you and we, we come joyfully knowing that your steadfast love is for us. God, you want us to grow in Jesus. You want us to experience more of the fullness of life that's found in him. Lord, whether we are Christians right now and followers of Jesus already, or if we're even just interested in hearing about Jesus, and that's why we walked in this morning. Uh, Lord, you want this for us. And we just pray that you would uh, help us, that you would draw us by your Holy Spirit to, to know Jesus more, to more joyfully obey him in every way in our lives, and to come to the knowledge of his love and his grace and forgiveness for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, some of my favorite videos on the internet are videos of construction fails. I don't know if there's anybody else that likes construction fails. I do. I like, in particular, watching videos of uh, loader buckets that are extended as high as they go. And then there's a, a ladder, you know, on top of the loader bucket, extended up beyond that to reach to a higher window. Um, or my personal favorite, I don't know if you've seen the one where there's a forklift lifting up a forklift that has a load on the top of that uh, forklift to, to, to reach to a higher, higher level that it could reach by itself. Uh, they're, they're pretty... 
They're pretty great. And, and maybe I especially like them because I have a, a background in construction and I used to do foolish things myself with the tools that I was given. Uh, for example, it was a favorite pastime to use my nail gun as a weapon and shoot my coworkers. And, uh, and they do it to me and we do it to, you know, back and forth and things would devolve and thankfully nobody went to the hospital. Um, it's great fun. It's not supposed to really be used that way. If you use nail guns the wrong way, what happens is that you don't finish your project. You can go to the hospital instead. <laughs> right? It's real, really a problem. Um, and my point in bringing this up as we begin is, is just really simply this. It's to get us thinking along these lines. It's kind of the same in the church. We can misuse the tools that have been given to us here. And in chapter 14, the chapter we're beginning right now, Paul's concluding his section on spiritual gifts, on the useful tools God has given us for the construction of his church. He concludes his section by calling the Corinthians to begin using their gifts the right way so that they won't miss out on the opportunity they have to be building the church. And from that, we're really just taking two points away this morning as we unpack verses 1 to 12. The two points are these. We should desire the gifts, but we should desire them the right way, not misusing the tools that God has given us. And second, we should use our gifts confidently to build the church of God. So desire the gifts the right way, use our gifts confidently to build the church of God. And we're going to jump right in in verse 1 in our first point and read it with me. Pursue love, Paul says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So first, in this verse, what is it that makes a desire for a spiritual gift right? We might want a gift. I mean, you, you think about a different gift that, that you could have in the, in the church. What makes the desiring of that gift correct and right? Well, Paul says, right? He says, when we pursue that gift out of love for others in order to benefit them. That's what we've learned about in chapter 13, all about how love works. And correct desire for gifts is when we desire that gift with love. Where I, I want that gift to bless somebody else because I love them. I want them to grow up in Jesus Christ. And that makes sense because all the things we've seen in chapter 13 so far, it makes sense with what we've seen when Paul said that, that without love, every single gift is useless. Doesn't matter what you have going for you in terms of gifts. Without love, it's not going to work at all. It makes sense because we've seen that only when we sacrifice and love others for their benefit, like Jesus loved us, only then can we be confident that he'll be using the gifts that we've been given to build his church, to strengthen his church. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, it's important that we highlight it. In fact, love is the only infallible sign that we are followers of Jesus at all. It's actually not our gifts. It's love. The thing that sets Christians apart, it's not our gifts. Because the gifts that we see here, whether they're healings or miracles or tongues or whatever, they can be imitated in other places. Other religions have these things evidenced there as well. Maybe you remember the story of Moses in Egypt in the Exodus, and it was the, the magicians that were imitating some of the signs that he was performing. These things can be imitated the wrong way. The infallible sign 
that we're Christians is our love for one another. As Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Not if you have gifts, but if you have love for one another. So I'm wondering this morning, just right here off the top, do you live like this is true? Do we live in this church like it's true that love is the bottom line? Do we live like it's true that when Jesus said the infallible marker of a Christian is concrete love shown through service and effort for someone else's good, do we live like that's true in our lives? Because love isn't just mere sentiment. We've looked at that already in chapter 13. It's concrete actions and effort for the good of others. That's a significant thing. So let me challenge you a little bit. If you're here this morning, if Christ City Church is your home and you spend most of your time thinking about your preferences and your desires and the things that bother you and, and, the, and not the needs of others around you and how you might bless and serve them, then you're missing out on the most important thing about who we are. Your lives are not going to be meaningful for the construction and the building of this church. And I want to encourage you still, if you are in that place and if you don't spend much time thinking about the needs of others and tend to be very self-focused, there's good news (laughs) because you can repent. You can repent and you can put your hope and your trust back in Jesus and he can work in you to change you to continue freeing you from that selfishness that's in your heart, to to put his own selfless love within you. So let me encourage you, spend some time this week to think about and to plan how you might begin to love others in concrete ways. Think about that in your community groups. Think about that with church plans. Think about that in in our gatherings here on a Sunday morning. Uh, In all the ways that we gather, think about that in your neighborhoods. There's ways that we can do this. There's ways that we can serve together. And if, you, if you're stuck, if you need more ideas, talk to me. I'd love to help you. I'd love to, to talk about the ways that we can grow in this. So first, Paul says, pursue the gifts the right way. Pursue love. That's how to desire a gift the right way. And he says this because it's the only way to obey the rest of the verse. Pursue love, as he says in verse 1, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The earnestly desire comes after the pursue love part. Right? But if you, okay, love's check. Great, I've learned that. Chapter 13, hit home. Awesome. Then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So you need to love, but you also need to want the tools that get the job done. Right? If you're a cook, you need to want a good knife. If you're a nurse, you need to want a stethoscope. And if you're a Christian, you should want the spiritual gifts that God gives to assist in building up his church. We need to want these gifts. Look at verses one to five to see how Paul unpacks this idea. Just pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. 
We need to hear that. Paul wants all of us to speak in tongues. But even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. All right, so in chapter 14, Paul's finally getting to the point of the spiritual gifts passage from chapter 12 to chapter 14. He's addressing the problem head on. And the problem was that in Corinth, tongues and prophecy were particular gifts that caused all kinds of problems in the church. They caused problems because the prophets and the tongue speakers, they boasted about their gifts and they bullied those that didn't have them. And they looked down on those who didn't have them. And then on the flip side, those that didn't have those gifts, they began to resent those that did, right? We're just upset at you guys for having it. And you know what? Forget about it. I don't want that stupid gift anyway. If you're going to like boast about it all the time, right? And there's this division that was happening. But notice Paul doesn't say gifts then are the problem. That's not what he says. Paul doesn't say you got it wrong. If we just get rid of the gifts, everything will be okay. That's not what Paul teaches in the Bible. Instead, he begins to deal very carefully and pastorally with the heart issue that led to the misuse of the gifts. He deals with the love problem, right? And then taking care of the love problem, then he starts to affirm that prophecy is amazing. Tongues are amazing. They're wonderful gifts when used the right way. Look at verse 1 and verse 5. Verse 1, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues. He affirms the goodness of these gifts. And I think we probably need to stop there for a minute. Because I think some of us have used and seen these gifts used wrongly and we've not been like Paul. We've just thrown the gifts out. And I'll be really honest, that's my background. Now that's, that's where I've been for a long time in my life. There's a time when I thought the best way to deal with these passages was by mostly ignoring them. <laughs> you know, like if I just don't talk about it, I'll be okay. You know, we can just avoid it and kind of let things be, then, then, then we'll do that. And yet, in doing that in my own life, I was disobeying the scriptures. Because Paul said three times, not just one, to earnestly desire these gifts. Right? Let me show you. Uh, he says, desire, pursue prophecy, 1231, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And the higher gifts, it's clear from the context, are the gifts that are effective for building people up. That's prophecy in the context. 14.1, earnestly desire the gifts, especially you may prophesy. 14.39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. See, he, he says, you got to desire the gifts. And here I am just kind of hoping they're going to go away. It's not what the scripture teaches. I need to come under the authority of the word of God and be changed by it. See, some of us need to grow as Jesus' disciples by loving and serving one another where we're not. But others of us need to be challenged to just believe the plain teaching of the Bible. To just believe what it says and to desire these gifts. Because we need to want the tools that God has given in order to build up his church. And yet I think there's another group here in the church. Maybe some of us fall into this group because we struggle, I think, to desire things that we don't understand. Isn't that true? You can see some goodness in it. You see the scriptures teach it. But if I don't know what it is, <laughs> how, like, how can I want it? And how is it useful? Right? You, you say it's a tool and I see there's a tool there, but I don't know how to operate it. I don't really know what it does. Right? So I don't really want it in my garage. 
You know, this, this isn't kind of how I, I'm working here. So let's spend a little bit of time again. We've done this a few times in this series, but we're going to spend a, a little bit of time just once more looking at prophecy and tongues to try to come to a better understanding as we move forward. So first, what's prophecy? Well, New Testament prophecy, as we've said throughout these chapters, isn't identical with the famous prophets in the first half of the Bible. It's not identical with Old Testament prophecy. So praise God, you don't have to lie on one side for like 40 days or whatever it was and live your life as a parable uh, in particular ways. That's not exactly what God is calling you to when we talk about prophecy. But there are things that Paul does help us understand about this and we need to look at them. Um, In the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, the part that comes after Jesus' resurrection, uh, the gift of prophecy looks a little bit different, but there's lots of continuity with with what came before. And Paul unpacks some of that now in chapter 14. And he says a few different things which give us different clues about how prophecy works today. So, first off, Paul's clear that prophecy builds up Christians in their faith. Look at 14 verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Clear words are spoken when a prophet speaks. Words that encourage me in my faith to trust the words of Jesus, to live for him faithfully, that console me in my suffering and and lift me up and help me to put my faith back in the Jesus of the Bible. And Paul says more than that. He says, prophecy, yes, it builds up and encourages and consoles. It also convicts people of their sin. Look at 1424. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. I think he's talking about the ways that that when the word of God is spoken, led by the Holy Spirit, whether it's in the moment or or, or not, we come under conviction. We realize the ways that our lives are out of alignment with the goodness of what God is calling us to in Scripture, and we repent. We come to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Paul teaches that there's another thing that's going on. He says prophecy can cause Christians to learn and to be encouraged. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, he says in 1431. (laughs) Learning and encouragement happening through prophecy. And then he goes on and says, prophecy can come from a revelation by the Spirit of God in the moment as well. So it can be something that happens in a particular moment of time when the Spirit moves someone by a revelation to to have insight into saying something that fits the moment. Look at 14.6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And 14.29 to 30, which I think unpacked this a bit more. Let two or three prophets speak. If a revelation is made to one another sitting there, let the first be silent. In the moment, the Holy Spirit works through people to impress the needs that we have and to help us to come under the authority of Scripture, to put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. But I think, too, that, that revelation doesn't have to always be spontaneous. We have an idea that revelation must always be spontaneous. I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about. Verses 29 to 30 seem to indicate something else, because there's two or three prophets speaking, 14, 29 to 30, right? So they're, they're communicating something, they're teaching in some way. And then a, a revelation happens over here and then, and then there's a, a moment where that person's allowed in an orderly fashion to come and speak. But there's effort and there's, there's study and there's these things that are going into, I think, that, that first part of the teaching and the prophecy that's happening. 
And then the last thing I think we need to note is that Paul says prophecy must be tested for its accuracy in the community of brothers and sisters in the church. 1429, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. You see, I think there's a reality that, that all the prophecy that happens in the church, it must come through the proper channels to be tested and weighed according to what scripture already says. Right? So we can weigh it. It's not just some person's subjective opinion. Weigh what's being said by the Bible uh, prior to letting that prophecy uh, go forward. And it's for all of these reasons, all of these texts that we've just looked at, that we've been using the New Testament scholar Anthony Thistleton's excellent definition of prophecy. It's, it's quoted in every commentary. This is the best one. It puts all the pieces together. Every commentary about this passage kind of comes back to Anthony Thistleton, and it's good, and here it is in full again. He writes, Prophecy as a gift of the Holy Spirit combines pastoral insight into the needs of persons and communities and situations with the ability to address these with a God-given utterance or a longer discourse, whether it's unprompted or prepared with judgment and decision and rational reflection. And it leads to challenge and comfort, judgment or consolation, but ultimately building up the addresses, building up the church. That's the point. While the speaker believes that such utterances or discourses come from the Holy Spirit, mistakes can be made. And since believers, including ministers or prophets, remain humanly fallible, claims to prophecy must be weighed and tested. How? By the word of God. There's an infallible revelation that we have from God, and it's here. It's the Bible. And we weigh everything by what the Bible teaches, even as the Spirit leads us to apply the Bible in specific moments to the gift of prophecy. Now, I confess, this all might sound a little bit intimidating to you. Does it? Anybody else besides me feel a bit weird by this? I, well, you don't have to put up your hands. I'm asking a lot of you. But I'll put up my hand and say, there's times when this has felt weird for me. And, and uh, we got a hand. Thanks, Kim. Um, you can join me. Um, but even though it's intimidating and, and seems weird, I think that, that that's, there's a couple of encouragements here. First of all, it also did to the, the Old Testament or to the, to the early church. The early church also was intimidated by this, which is why Paul had to write in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't despise prophecies. <laughs> Right? So they felt like you do. They felt like I do. Just don't despise prophecies, but test everything he says. But I want to encourage you and say that, that when you see this gift working as it should in the church, it's not weird at all. It's just encouraging. It's just this huge blessing that happens. And I think that, that we actually have a good moment, and not all of you are here, but if you look back um, to remember back, some of you who were here, to the time that we laid hands on and prayed for our baptism candidates back in Easter, we saw a good example of prophecy happening. And you probably didn't even notice what happened. So what happened is that we're all laying hands, we're praying, on the, we're praying for the candidates, and then um, one of the brothers here, he came up and he said, Brent, I just feel so strongly that the Lord's putting something on my heart, and I think we need to speak to, to those that, that are um, believers here, but have lost their first love, that have kind of grown cold and lost the excitement of the new life that's in Jesus Christ. And, and I want to be, can I, can I exhort them according to what the Holy Spirit's putting in my heart? And I said, that sounds really good. <laughs> that sounds deeply and richly scriptural. Uh, and I think it would be for the edification and building up of the church. So I handed the mic over to this brother. And, uh, and then he shared what was on his heart, the Holy Spirit had placed there. I, I don't think anybody thought it was weird. I think what happened is that people felt encouraged and built up 
and appropriately challenged in their faith and their walk with Jesus. And that's how prophecy ought to work. This beautiful, wonderful, in-the-moment encouragement uh, as the Holy Spirit leads someone to, to share that, that with us. Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Praise God. It's a good thing that we can get our heads around that. But if I'm honest, tongues have been harder for me to understand in my life. And I did that, that thing with, with them where I would kind of just let the tongue speakers kind of be over here. Lots of friends that speak in tongues, like, okay, that's cool. You know, just do it by yourself somewhere. And, and, I, and I didn't see the benefit in it in, in the same way that I'd come to see the benefit to prophecy. It wasn't actually until recently that the, the, my eyes were just opened up. And I feel like God spoke to me through these passages where I'm seeing this gift is so beautiful. And it's so good. Because I began to rejoice in the ways that God has gifted some of you in this church with this incredible ability to express the deep longings and desires and prayers of your heart to God in ways that, that I find I can't sometimes. You know, I, I'm there and I'm thinking, God, I'd love to pray and I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, and, and yet he helps some of our brothers and sisters to just express himself in the gift of tongues, to talk in this, this way with God. Not a way that's understandable in English, but a way that, that just pours out their heart before him. And I've come to see the beauty of that, both in God condescending and helping someone to express themselves, but also the beauty of how that can actually become a blessing for us. Because, you know, it's a blessing for us that there are people here that experience this warmth in their prayers with God. And even when that's used appropriately according to orderly worship privately when there's not an interpreter, I think it spills over into our lives. Because you know who challenges and encourages my prayer life the most? It's so often the tongue speakers. <laughs> As we get together, we pray in English and they bring this, this, this warmth and, and joy and desire in Jesus Christ to our prayers together. And they want prayer meetings and you don't have to try to encourage them to show up at morning prayer because they'll be there. Because they love to pray already. They know this wonderful intimacy with God that's experienced in prayer. And they encourage all of us, even in this trickle-down kind of way in the church. It's beautiful that God would do this. That that gift isn't just for them. That gift is for us. Praise God. Praise God. Paul says, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14.39. The bottom line is just that God wants us to want the gifts that he gives. He wants us to want the gifts that he gives. He wants us to want them because they're good tools that we can use to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And we could ask, okay, all right, get all that, sure. If Paul so positive about tongues and prophecy, then why does he say we should want to prophesy more than to speak in tongues? Why does he prioritize one over the other? Well, he does so because prophecy is more immediately useful for building up the church of Jesus, especially in gathered worship. This is precisely Paul's point in verses 6 to 11. He says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? No one likes that kind of music when it's all just a cacophony of wild, horrible noise. 
And then if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the person speaking and the speaker a foreigner to me. And the problem was in Corinth, as we'll see as this chapter develops, is that the Corinthians loved praying loudly in tongues in church, right? So unintelligible languages or, or, or sounds coming out of people's mouths all over the church. And it was just chaos. It's not building up anybody. It's kind of weird. Like newcomers are walking in like, what is going on here? We're out. <laughs> I don't need that, Jesus. And prophecy, on the other hand, it was building up the church in the public gathering. As Paul says in 14 verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. There's communicated language according to the word of God for edification, for consolation, for building up in Christ Jesus. So Paul's positive about both prophecy and tongues, but he wants the church to prioritize seeking the gifts that would most greatly bless those around them. That's what he wants. Seek the gifts that bless others. Have a heart of love that's so eager that everybody else would grow, that you prioritize those gifts that are most useful for building others up. That's what Paul wants. And then when we have received God's love for us through Jesus Christ in the gospel, you know what happens to us? We want to do this. So when the gospel hits us, when we see Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for me, the way that he laid down his life to love me, so I could be forgiven, so I could have my guilt and my shame gone and reconciled to God, no longer under his judgment, but but part of his family. When I see that, I'm radically changed by the generosity that I've received. And you are too. And when the gospel gets a root in our hearts, then what does it do? It makes you want to be generous to others like God has been generous to you. The gospel moves us in this direction, causes us to live in generosity. As Paul wrote in another letter to the Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, here's the reason, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, no longer living selfishly, thinking about my gifts, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And the way that we live for Jesus, practically and concretely, is by loving and serving others. He's been very clear about that throughout his own words in the, the book of John. So friends, are your hearts hard and selfish this morning? God can change your hearts. In the gospel, God can change you and transform you to be filled with the love of Jesus. Look to Jesus. Spend time worshiping him and praising him and giving him thanks for what he's done for you so you'll be filled up with his love to extend it in generosity towards others. And you'll no longer be controlled by selfishness, but instead you'll be controlled by the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. All right, Paul wants us to desire the gifts motivated by love 
And that leads us to our second point, because he also wants us to be confident here at Christ City Church, just the same as in the church in Corinth. He wants to be confident that we can build up the church of Jesus Christ. You can. This is good news for you. Look at verses 4, 5, and 12. Paul says, the one who prophesies builds up the church. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Then he says in 14, 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel, labor, put effort in to build up the church. See, Paul's point isn't only Guys, you should desire prophecy. His point is bigger than that. His point is for the Corinthians to gain a vision of how useful their gifts can be when they're used in love and service for others. And that's why he concludes this section the way he did in in, in verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. Now, I, I think that it's possible that, again, we can struggle here because it's hard to get excited about something that we don't understand. Like, what does building up the church mean? Like, what is that? Why is it a good thing? Why should I be excited about this? So let me explain it. See, to build up the church is just simply, it's to participate in God's work of saving and redeeming this broken world through Jesus Christ. That's what building up the church is. To participate in God's work of saving and redeeming this broken world through Jesus Christ. Look, Lots of people have different opinions, you may have encountered them, of what's wrong with this world. But people generally agree there's some things that are wrong with this world. But to participate in building Jesus' church is first to align yourself with God's own diagnosis of the problem. You can't build up the church unless you agree with God about what the problem is. And then second, to build up the church is to also then agree with God and participate in what his solution is to bring salvation. Got to agree with God's problem, what the problem he is as, as he sees it. You got to agree with what his solution is as he has made it. And the problem with this world, according to the Bible, is our human sin. It's our rebellion against God. That's the problem. All the brokenness, all the suffering that you experience in your life, the Bible teaches it because of the sin that's in this world, whether it's yours or others that are sinning against you or the brokenness that's in this world because of sin. And each of us naturally turns away from God and disobey his good commands. And we think in our rebellion against God, like every person has ever thought in their rebellion against God, if I do things my way, I'll be happy. If I can just do things my way, I'll I'll finally be happy. But it's a lie. And actually, believing that lie and rebelling against God is the thing that fills this world with heartbreak and with sorrow. And there's worse news, but because God is also a just and a holy God. And we must answer to him for all the selfishness and evil that we've done. That's the problem. Our problem is our sin, the destruction that it causes, and the judgment of a holy God against us in our sin. That's the problem. What's the solution? Well, the solution is this. Praise God. He really loves his creatures. He really loves us. And he's made a way for us to be saved. 
is at the right time, God himself was born as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ in order to forgive our sins through his sacrificial death in our place, in order to free us from the slavery to sin that causes us to perpetuate sorrow and destruction in this world, and in order to reconcile us to himself so that we're no longer God's enemies under his judgment. It's not who we are anymore. Now we're his beloved children, loved and cherished, promised eternity to come and every blessing that God himself has given to Jesus Christ. So we're his. So we await the fullness of our adoption when Jesus returns. And if we've trusted in Jesus, so we've agreed with the problem, turned to Jesus for the solution, if we've done that, then we're a new creation. It means that this church here is this kind of new community on earth. It's a new thing. Something that God's building that, that, that has been redeemed, that, that lives and looks differently in this world than it does in its rebellion against him. And Jesus himself said that these people, us and this church, we now have this incredible mission. Daniel quoted it in the church planning video. It's this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, to build Jesus' church is to join him in his work of saving the world by teaching others about what God has done to save us and how we can follow Jesus too. It's amazing. It's this gift that we've been given to join God in his redemption of the world as we obey Jesus' command. You see, that happens here in this church. There's all this building that's going on right now as we become disciples of Jesus. From our nursery to our kids' ministry, to the youth ministries, to our Bible studies, to our book studies, to our community groups, uh, to our gathered Sundays, to every ministry that we do, to all our acts and labors in love. This church is a nursery of the new creation. It's a nursery of the new creation. It's why we plant churches. We want to have people come in and be changed to follow Jesus. To know the life that he brings as we come to joyfully obey and to follow him in every area in our lives. And we all join in this mission in different ways, right? Not all of us preach, not all of us teach kids ministry. We all do these different things in a variety of ways. Some supporting, some teaching, some doing other stuff, some administrating. But we all work together to build up this church for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that more people can be saved. So more people can come to know the fullness of life that's in Jesus Christ. And Christ said, you need to know that Jesus' mission is succeeding. Despite all odds, he is winning. And he will continue to win. And he will finally win because he promised, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Sometimes people look at that verse and we think that hell's gates are a weapon, right? Like, like hell's marching and is carrying gates on the shoulders of the soldiers and they're going to lob the gates over the church's defenses and just try to crush us. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's the opposite. Saying the church is an army of light and life powered by the Holy Spirit, powered by the love of God shown to us the cross of Jesus Christ. And despite every odd, we will be victorious. Satan's strongest strongholds cannot stand against what Jesus is doing through his gospel. 
And it's with these truths in mind that Paul could say, so with yourselves, since you're so eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's saying, you guys here are the army of Jesus. And he's winning. He's gifted you to participate and to be equipped to build something that will last for all of eternity. So build. Build. You know, there's days that I miss construction. Because construction had this very satisfying thing. You could bleed and sweat and labor. And at the end of the day, there were walls where there didn't used to be walls. But I learned something through construction that applies to my job now and applies to all of us here in the church. With great effort, we can have concrete results. But effort is godly. Hard work is good. You know what that means for us? It means that though this church meets in a movie theater, we're not here to be entertained. It's not when we come. And it means that Christians shouldn't act as consumers looking for the next best church to meet their needs. It means that Christians should participate in the church as builders of God's kingdom. Building takes effort. Because no one ever became a follower of Jesus without God using the patient, sacrificial love and labor of another human being to lead them to Christ. No one's become a Christian apart from that means. I don't know if you've realized that. It's true. And there's no church or ministry of the church that's done some good in this world that's not run by the hard work and sacrifice of real Christians that have been compelled by the love of Christ for them. It's the only way that those things happen. And Christ said, in this world, because of Jesus' victory over Satan and sin and death, you have agency. You're free in Christ to do good. You need to know that. And if you decide to labor hard, this church, Christ City in Kitsilano, can be better because you're here. It can be better because you are using your gifts to grow this place in the glory of God. More people can have their lives changed to know and love Jesus Christ because you are their neighbor. Because God placed you where you are and you are working hard to minister to them. And as we labor... Here's the good news. Vancouver will see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Jesus promised that in Matthew chapter 5. So take Paul's words to heart. Since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. I think sometimes we think that that generosity is an, an, an extra additional thing that we just do on the top. But Christ City, Jesus owns you. You belong to him. Everything in your life is his. Whether it's your resources or your time or your energy, you belong to him. And the most joyful thing in the world is to use all that he's given you to serve him, to bring him glory and honor in this world. So let me ask you, where are you serving? Who has God put in front of you that, that you can minister to? Where can you labor and participate in the kingdom? you pray with me? God, we come to you and we just ask for your help. 
Would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to be so filled up with the love of Christ Jesus that we are full of joy? So when we're tired and when the labor's hard, we would have great faith in him. Lord, that we'd be empowered. We'd grow up strong to do good work out of love for you, out of love for others. Lord, would you give us a vision for the ways that we can participate in this church? Would you give us a vision for the ways we can participate in our neighborhoods to bring you glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.